Welcome to Capstan Live. We're the podcast that makes sure you're in the know about the taxes you might owe. If you're a tax professional, a business owner, or a real estate investor, you're in the right place for real talk about tax saving. Hello, welcome to another episode of Capstan Live. Very excited to welcome an audience favorite back to the pod. It's Mr. Bruce Johnson. Hello, Bruce. Hi there, Elena. How are you? I am hanging in. How about you, sir? Doing fantastic. Thanks. Living the dream. We're here today to talk about the Inflation Reduction Act. Yes, again. It's been almost a year since the provisions took effect back in January. There are still a lot of unanswered questions. So, Bruce, I was hoping we could talk about what we know and also what we we have yet to know. Sound good? Absolutely. Okay, in general, can you just give our listeners some some background context on the IRA? So, um, certainly with regard to what we do, because what was interesting about the IRA, it covered a lot of ground, particularly Mm -hmm. when it comes to, uh, we'll call it green initiatives. So, specific to Capstan and what our, our customers are familiar with us interacting with, we're talking about the EPAC 2005 tools, 179 Cap D and 45L. <clears throat> so these have been around uh, for a very long time. And since their in- almost since their inception, uh, people, organizations have been looking to increase the usefulness of the tools. So it's taken a little bit of time, but the IRA did just that in many, many ways. And as you had already said, there are a lot of things that are yet, because when we have this type of change and this, the degree of change, there still is a fair amount of clarification what we have. So we're still kind of navigating in the dark, if you would, on some of the aspects of this. But very significant changes to both these programs um, in terms of the economics, but also in terms of how we are gauging the performance of them. And also we look at a third way that they've changed things is how they can be used perhaps together, which is very interesting because in the past, these were always mutually exclusive and there were clear lines of delineation where you would see one would work and one wouldn't. Well, in certain instances we might have where they overlap and can, can enhance one another. So I don't know, Helena, if you want to talk with me, talk a little bit more about some of those changes, but um, I, I do, more. but it's it's just wild how much has changed. Like you said, the economic benefit, the reference standards, the the procedure involved. Like it's it's all it's all different. And the fact that you could theoretically use one seventy nine D and forty five L together, it's like psh, like my mind is blown. Um, so yeah, let's let's dig in a little bit. Let's start with one seventy nine. And so, like I said, the benchmark has changed. It's it's theoretically easier to meet now, right, Bruce? Well, at least for the for the next few years, and the the reason is that the 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 stat the the law the IRA law does state that they're going to be using much more current uh, and I'll use the word aggressive benchmarking standards. However, when we look at at there is a window of uh, of transition, if you would. So for the next few years, we're going to be continuing to be able to use a much older standard, which is going to allow projects today, at least for the next two, three years, be able to achieve from the energy benchmarking perspective, 
the thresholds, the minimum threshold of 25% energy savings uh, relatively easily. But once we transition to the new ASHRAE standards, which will be in three or four or so years, um, that's going to be another opportunity for us to kind of step back and evaluate really what type of technologies are, have been evolved since then, been adopted, what type of codes, uh, local building codes may have changed to really, I like to say that there's the push-pull effect of governance and legislation when it comes to building facilities, because uh, there are things that we want to do, there are things that we have to do. But we, it, in terms of 179D and this change in benchmarking standards, by the time that occurs, we may very well have already moved past that because, say, some of the more progressive uh, municipalities have already adopted even more aggressive positions. So I think that right now where we stand today, in 20, the, the going into the fourth quarter of 2023, we know that we have this grace period, if you would, to use an older standard, that a lot of the technologies and building practices today will pretty easily meet, well, I would say should fairly easily meet the 25% minimum standard of savings over the benchmark. Right. And, and that is that is great. And I know that's a decrease from 50%, which is good. And while we are using the 90.1-2007 standard, like you said, for the next three, four years, now is a time to, to strike while the iron is hot. And that standard remains the 2007. Um, so, but going um, forward, um, so I know that the, it, that the process used to be, there used to be like three, three items that would combine for your total benefit. And you could get up to... $1.80 per square foot if you if you maxed out on, on HVAC and on building envelope and on lighting. But that is the wave of the past, right? Moving forward, it's it's totally different. Well, actually, you're still focused on those three areas of construction, interior lighting, building envelope, and HVAC. Um, but what's interesting is that how you prove those, those standards out is going to be a little bit different. Um, so... When we look at projects that are going on today, um, certainly there'll be a lot. The, the, well, first of all, there's no more individual lighting uh, rights analysis. That was that was put to pasture, done away, expired uh, at the beginning of this year. So we're going to be seeing every project has to be modeled. And what's interesting, Kalina, is that let's say you and I uh, have a warehouse and we're putting in uh, an all-new HVAC system clearly is, is one of the three areas of focus. But say we haven't used 179D in the past, but we did a lighting project a few years ago. Well, the model will take that into consideration. So oh. we're going to be able to model all of that. And that's one of the things that in the past, you know, for lighting-only projects under what we call the legacy format of 179D, we only had to model, it was lighting only, well, we would just focus on the lighting and typically mm -hmm. through a spreadsheet type of calculation. Well, now that we have to do modeling, that gives us the ability to take into consideration any other events or any other improvements that have been done at a property and take that into consideration as well. Because under the legacy format, it was always very difficult for, for HVAC and or building envelope to stand on their own. Uh, because they really, it was difficult, as, as we've talked about, that at the time, we had a minimum 50% energy right. reduction. 
So now we have a lower threshold and the modeling is really going to allow us to take a look at the whole building from a holistic perspective and be able to take advantage of everything that's been done at the property in addition to what's in front of us right now. So again, our example, you and I had the warehouse. Today we're doing an HVAC upgrade, but we did a lighting project a few years ago that we hadn't taken advantage of yet. And that's awesome. So we can benefit from from that lighting work that we did a few years ago yeah, we'll as well. Yeah, we'll spin off the additional savings yeah. and, and be able to kind of build into the calculation because as we know, the minimum today under the IRA is a 25% reduction, but we also have the ability for each percent point above that 25, we also get a financial kicker involved in that as well. So up to 50%. So it's still important to keep that 50% in mind, but that's not the the, the minimum benchmark that we have to, to establish against. Right, right. So that financial kicker that you were talking about per percent, so it's theoretically Awesome. And you can theoretically go up to $5 per square foot, right? Um, theoretically, yes. Theoretically. So yeah. let's talk about prevailing wages because the, the old PW, the prevailing wages, that that can be a sticky wicket here, right? Yeah. And you, you, prevailing wages and the apprentice and, and being involved in the apprenticeship programs is certainly a challenge for a lot of clients that we've been talking to. Um, primarily because of the additional cost associated with that. And depending from what I'm hearing, Depending upon where the project in question is, we could be seeing a 30 to 40% increase in labor costs to adhere to that. And um, I, I can say that in all but one unique instance, I've been having that or being around that conversation, um, no one has decided that they're going to go that extra mile. And oh. I think this is where you're driving at that, yes. When this first was passed and it started to, the, the news of this started to filter out into the industry, everybody was gravitating to, wow, $5 a square foot benefit versus $1.88, just $1.88 last year. And so people were, were really mesmerized by that number. And quite frankly, yeah, it's amazing. And, and rightfully so. And that's one of the things that people have been inquiring about for years. However, with this second metric that we have to evaluate against, if we're not able to meet that, unfortunately, the maximum benefit only goes to a dollar a square foot. And, um, you know, I, I, I truly wish I had uh, had the ear of some of the people as they were fashioning this to say that at a, keep the minimum what we had last year. That, that would be right. fantastic. But no, they basically cut it in half. So. We see the economics. Certainly, we see the, the, the gold standard benchmark now is $5 a square foot. Uh, by the way, that increases <laughs> by inflation as well. Right, um, yes. But but really, as we're kind of alluding to here, it's, it's, it's a very tall order to be able to get there. Now, if you're doing, say, government work where prevailing wage and apprenticeship program participation are required, then pretty easy. However, for most of our private sector clients, this is not a common practice. So it's, it's really becoming an issue. And you know, it's interesting, Helena, this is one of the questions that we have been around and is, it needs to be addressed is, okay, we're doing a project. Do all of the trades have to be using prevailing wage or only the trades involved in the three scope areas of work? Oh. So, and, and we don't know the answer to that. Um, so, I mean, there, there's one area of uncertainty that we have that we need to really ho we're hoping that we'll get some clarification so that 
as we move forward and we see projects that are in this version of the 179D program, that we can properly be applying the, the rules and the benefits. That's an important nuance. Yeah. Does it have to be every single person on that construction site or just the people who are focused on, on the three areas? Wow. Um, and something else that we're still trying to figure out uh, regarding prevailing wages and, and apprenticeship requirements is, is how, how we're going to document that, how we're going to lay that out. And I know the IRS released proposed regulations at the end of August, um, and they did say the records may include X, Y, Z, A, B, C, but it's still very vague. So we're hoping for, for more clarity moving forward on that. Yeah, um, and I, but I, I think, too, if we look at other parts of the tax code, there's there in many cases not a red line guidance on that. So I think that that might be we might have gotten all that we're going to get on that. Um, uh, but I, I could be wrong. But my guess is that that the the IRS is intentionally being vague there because, quite frankly, the rules are different from area to area of the country, um, not only the rates, but some of the rules. So um, in terms of how they're being applied and all. So for taking advantage of this, I mean, this might be as good as we get, but we do have some form of guidance with regard to that today. So they're it's keeping not... it intentionally vague on a federal level. Correct. Is... Correct. Okay. Yeah. At least with okay. regard to 17090, not not the actual uh, project that's, that's in terms using... of documentation requirements. Okay. Whew. All right, let's let's sidebar to something cool and exciting. Which, like you said, so government projects are really likely to be the ones who are able to get this full benefit. They're the ones who are definitely meeting prevailing wage requirements. Um, so, and I know that that the benefit of these um, government programs, our government buildings, can be taken by the designer of the project. Yeah. Right. Yep. Yes. Yes. Yeah. So, and, tell and, and as I think you're kind of leading to this, but another area that that industry has been pressing Congress to address is that the legacy version was only for government-related buildings, whether they mm -hmm. be owned or leased. Well, now we see that has been finally been expanded to nonprofits, re religious organizations, Native American properties. So Yeah, designers of any tax-exempt entity. So it could yeah. be K-12 through schools, like all kinds of stuff. It's very exciting. It really expands things. Um, and But the so the designer can't claim the deduction it has to be like allocated to him and well, then they can, he claim, they can they they claim it what what happens helena is that i'll say the buying agents of whatever organization they're acknowledging that the design professional is taking it essentially ah uh, okay the way we we see it is the buying agent is essentially like a traffic cop to say all right <laughs> i've got three three organizations claiming the same benefit I, that, I'm not going to sign off on all of this. Um, but I would say that for most of our work that we're interacting with, it's the, it's the tier one, the prime design professional, the architect of record typically. Mm -hmm. So they have first shot at this, but um, they can claim this certainly. And part of the process absolutely is to have uh, acknowledgement by the buying a government or entity buying agent to say, okay, yes, we're, we, we recognize that, that you are taking this, not approving okay. it, because just like Capstan, we're not tax professionals and certainly we're not signing a tax return. So we're not approving their use of it. 
we're just the buying agent is just acknowledging that. I see. I see. So, okay. So that's amazing. So they can, they can claim it through this allocation process by the buying agent, um, which is fantastic. And oh, oh, now this is the best part. The part I'm the most excited about is deduction reset. You can do it again. It's so awesome, right? That was one of the, the quiet, quiet rules of the legacy format is that you could only do this once in the lifetime of ownership of a building. Right. And so now we have it it's uh, every three years, every I believe. Three for commercial for, for, and every four for tax exempts. Correct. Something yeah. like that. So, it's awesome. Yeah. So, I mean, so long as people continue to do CapEx work in the energy field, then they'll be able to, to take advantage of this. And that will encourage people to continue improving their, their energy efficiency. You know, if they know that there's opportunity to claim the deduction again, don't you think that will, it'll become like cyclic? It'll encourage people to continue I think so. to upgrade? Technologies are evolving and, right. people's, and, and, and the needs for buildings are changing. And as I said before, that push-pull effect from a regulatory perspective, people might have to be doing things. I mean, we talk about the local law 97 in New York. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's initiatives in California, different municipalities in California. Denver is pushing some of this stuff. So building owners in these areas are going to have to be doing things in certain time frames. So, to so your they point, might as well get compensated for yeah, it if it's, this if it's is a way to mandated. Help monetize, yeah. to help monetize that to another level while they're making compliance investments. No, that's all that. Yeah. If you got to comply, you might as well uh, make a few bucks back. Um Sorry, that was a little crass, but it's true. Well, I think the the, the issue that we're, I'm trying to drive home the point is that people are going to have to, in, in particularly some of these larger municipalities, are going to have to be doing things. Yeah. And as we know, in today's economic environment, uh, funding of that is going to become more and more of a challenge. So this program was set up specifically to help incentivize people to increase the energy performance right. of their buildings. So hopefully... It's something that, that will help folks to be able to kind of bridge that gap between the needs and wants. Oh, I love, that sounds nice. I love that. Um, here's something I'm confused about, Bruce, and I think a lot of our listeners are too. Um, the alternative deduction election for retrofits. I feel like it's a big question mark. Like, in theory, I know that it's a way for a retrofit to qualify more easily, um, but I just feel like it's a big old question mark. Can you clarify what we know here? It's not so, much, right? Yeah, we, we're seeing two tracks. The old track of just modeling it out to prove the savings. And then the other is to, to and this would be all new, to basically do a bill-to-bill comparison, um, which is much simpler. But the challenge with that is that there's delayed gratification in that, all right, I did this project. I'm putting it into service. We'll just say June of 2024. And this is something the IRS has not identified. Okay, so if we're going to do a built-up-up comparison, is it just in one month's worth of bills, uh, the, uh, say the month of July, we compare it to the previous year or something? Or do we have to wait six months? Do we have to wait a year or longer to pr- do a bill comparison? So um, that's something, and, and certainly to your, your, your side there says it all. I think that most people would say, you know what, I'm not going to do that. Um, so I think it might be up to two years, Bruce. It, and, <laughs> and this was this was kind of the one of the things that I did prior to <clears throat> to what we now do at Capstan and energy engineering. And um, 
Yeah, that that's um, and then even within doing that bill-to-bill comparison, it's not a one-to-one analysis. There's all types of, uh-huh. of potential uh, balances that you have to be taking into consideration. But nonetheless, this is an area, yet another area that we need clarification yes. from the IRS on. Yeah, Ugh, I don't love that. It doesn't sound amazing. Um, but I'm keeping. Let's get stay positive. Who knows? Who knows? Um, okay, so let's switch gears a little and talk about. 45L, 45L tax credit. And I always thought of 45L as like 179D's like little bro, like kind of tagging along. But I feel like 45L now is its own like, like universe and it's quite lucrative and impressive under these, under, under these new standards. Tell us a little bit about 45L, what 45L looks like today, Bruce. Well, again, 45L is similar to 170, part of the Energy Policy Act of 2005. It's been in in place since 2006, and then under the IRA had some dramatic changes. Again, similarly, I love drama, but it's a little too dramatic, even for me. I, I, yeah, I think both these programs. There was great (laughs) intention, but I, I, as I said before, I just wish that they had maybe consulted a little bit more with people that were in the industry because. Similar to 179D, we have it's not, <clears throat> 45L obviously is part of the same program, but differs in that the type of properties that it focuses on and the incentivization. So with regard to 45L, it's not a de- one-time federal de- tax deduction. It is a one-time federal tax credit. So it's much more powerful. And under the legacy format, it was a $2,000 credit per dwelling unit, so long as you met the the requirements. And under the legacy, that was basically an energy analysis. Um, well, now under the, the IRA, once again, when the, the details started to filter out, people saw a $5,000 credit, credit per thing. dwelling unit. It was just like, okay, now we are in business. Um, it was however, a cartoon, Bruce. It was a cartoon where, like, the cartoon character gets dollar signs in their eyes. Like, that's seriously how we all were. We're like, what? This is crazy. And then we started to, like, read the fine print a little bit. The details matter, right? So, yes. <clears throat> what we found was somewhat similar to 179D in certain instances, particularly for your traditional commercial multifamily, we might have to be dealing with prevailing wage rates. But for the home builders, not so much. However, now comes the other change that similar to uh, 179D, we had some changes to the energy thresholds we had to meet. Um, mm-hmm. But this is, this is a, a significant change for 45L in that we no longer just have modeling to do. We now have to follow the Energy Star process, which has evolved very significantly over the years since its implementation in the 90s. Um, used to be that, and for most of us, I would say that most of our interaction with Energy Star is that, hey, we go buy an appliance for our house, we see yeah. a sticker on the top left there, and oh, we feel good about that. Well, Energy Star is actually much, much more intricate than just that now. So what they've done with 45L is they've now transitioned over, particularly the documentation process, to follow inside the Energy Star platform. And another big change is that I would say that, and at least in Capstan's experience in the past, 45L has been something that, okay, we can wait. We're almost done with the project or we're done with the project. <laughs> oh. We can go back and deal with that. Isn't that the truth with almost everything that we deal with? 
This is the big one. Helen Bruce. Today, we have to be very, very, very careful. I didn't, didn't, I used very three times there purposely because you have to be proactive with this. At least as we understand the rules today, you must start the Energy Star process and get your data into the system before essentially you break ground and get pre-qualification. And that needs to be done by an Energy Star certified consultant so that upfront, you know, you have a fairly good roadmap that I'm going to be able to achieve these metrics and it's documented. This is not, again, as we understand things today, you cannot go back in time and create this. So we've talked a lot about this in, in our presentations and all since the IRA has, we've gotten an understanding, better understanding of the IRA rules with 45L, this is absolutely critical because if you're able to achieve that $5,000 credit unit level, it would be an awful shame if you've built on everything right with uh. the exception of not documenting this properly. Because again, in theory, you might be stuck out of luck, as they say, SOL, if, <laughs> if you don't follow this. So, no, and this is, this is tremendous. This is tremendous. So if you take nothing else from this podcast, it's, it's crucial to recognize that you need to apply for Energy Star certification while your project is still in the planning stages. There's no verifying after the fact anymore. And I feel like, yeah, that's just a, a tremendous, tremendous change. Um, and so now it, it involves you have to get a, like a, a HERS rater who is an Energy Star certified consultant who yeah. will come and verify things throughout the construction process and document and, and make sure that, that your specifications are going to meet the standards that they need to meet, right? Yeah, it's a the, whole... The rate, yeah, the Hearst thing. Rater, that was something that was also in the legacy format. You could have also used the California modeling process as well. But the Hearst Rater was always there. Um, however, now we have this whole new Energy Star application. So you're going to start to see people that have dual certifications, Energy Star certified and a HERS, HERS rating as well. Because mm-hmm. you still have to model these facility, the, the dwelling units to make sure that they pass, whether they be for sale homes, townhomes, condos, or uh, for rent units, uh, your traditional uh, commercial multifamily. Um, now, when it comes to the savings, and we talked about the $5,000, Lena, I think we also need to temper that, that, yes, that's top of the mark. That is if you build uh, zero home energy efficient construction, which is a very, very high standard, at least in today's parlance. Mm -hmm. Um, But the reality is that you might be faced with not a $5,000, but a $500 tax credit. Um, And there's, and there's certainly, there, there are stages in between the two extremes there. But the point is that to keep in mind, similar to 179D, as we talked about, yes, $5 per square foot is, is the top of the mark. But a lot of the people we're talking with are going to be at that dollar maximum. Yeah. So with 45L, we're again we're looking at just last year it was $2,000 tax credit. And you just had to model the buildings and and make sure you checked all the boxes in that and now model. and now it could be $500. And so and you have to you jump through so at, many hoops. Exactly. So now you start looking at all right, what are what is the process and what is the what do I have to pay to get that $500? So again, similar to, as I had said my on my little soapbox here, I really wish that Congress, as they were fashioning this, might have talked a little bit more to people that have been utilizing these tools 
for yeah. a number of years because um, we, we didn't talk a lot about prevailing wage. Mostly that's going to be in play for your traditional commercial multifamily applications, not so much for your single family, uh, your mm-hmm. for, for sale single family homes. But nonetheless, we still have these other metrics to meet and um, it's going to be a bit of a challenge. So I think that $2,000 credit because it, it, as we see a lot of the big home builders this was part of their process as they were yeah. building facilities they were kind of they, this was part of their dna if you would now this is all changing the beginning of this year so we have to look at in addition to lower potential potential you know, benefits, benefits you still have all of the the validation and certification and extra validation extra Correct. work extra right. people on your team suddenly it's right. it's not so straightforward unfortunately yeah. i was and so i think excited. you had mentioned this before Helene. again i'm back on my soapbox i've always looked at this <laughs> program as a way for the government to kind of have a, a quasi energy policy in place at least for constru- for uh, building construction um and then the incentives were there to help people bridge the gap between your standard construction and a much more energy efficient model, which has long term effects uh, on our economy and environment, obviously. And now we look at these great changes they've made. Unfortunately, they've created this wide chasm between the very high five thousand or five dollars to the very low of $500 or a dollar per square foot. A dollar square foot. Depending upon which program you're using. So I think that my hope is that there might be some some changes to this. I, I suspect that would mean that Congress would have to put some more ink to paper, which right now I don't think uh, that's going to get done. But so this is what we're dealing with right now. And Yeah, I'm not going to um, hold my breath. I wish they would have called you, Bruce. Well, not me. You were ringing. A lot smarter people in the industry that have been working with this a lot more than me, but I just listening to them and learning from them, I I, I, I do wish that Congress had done a little bit more homework on this. I understand to a degree why they did what they did, but um, I just wish they had put a little bit more thought into it is all. Agreed. Agreed. All right. I will not keep you, but I have two more questions that I must touch on. 45L and LIHTC properties, low income yes. housing tax credits. So that's kind of a win, right? Now under the IRA, you can take a 45L credit and that doesn't affect your basis. It doesn't, re- it doesn't reset the basis. Right. So that certainly was a challenge to use these two, those tool, two strategies under the legacy format of the program. Under the IRA, they corrected that. So the 45L doesn't reset the basis and doesn't potentially jeopardize the whole LIHTC calculation. Well, I'll take that as a win. I'm going to take my wins where I can get them here. Because we have seen Um, a lot. We have seen a lot of the interaction between those two programs in the past. And finally, as you said at at the top of the pod, theoretically, you could now use them both together. The height restriction on 45L properties has been eliminated. So, like, is it crazy to think that you could theoretically take both incentives? I, I mean... Yes, I'll say yes. I always kind of it's crazy. Okay, <laughs> mutually exclusive, but in certain build uh, build scenarios, and we do have seen a lot of this, particularly mixed use properties, where I think this could very well come into play. Um, I, I, I can think of at least three examples where we had to pivot to just one versus the other. Everybody mm-hmm. under the legacy wanted to play in the forty five L arena because a credit's better than a deduction in most cases. Right. 
Well, now that might not be the case where you can get the benefits of both. So um, I think it, it is it does seem a little bit odd that they would do that. But uh, nonetheless, it's there. And unless, until or unless the IRS comes and clarifies something, um, I, I, in theory, again, like you said, this is definitely something to be looking at so long as you fit the right construction. Right. <clears throat> I feel like I still have so many unanswered questions, Bruce. Um, what? Where should our listeners go? Where should where should they go for updated info as it drops? Is it well, perhaps uh, our website? Well, um, I, I think certainly keeping in touch with the IRS, particularly for tax professionals, keeping in touch with the IRS and any notices that come out. Um, and then for professionals or builders or investors, <laughs> to be keeping an eye on both the professional tax community as well as organizations like Capstan that'll be looking to dis- collect and disseminate this information as it comes out. So Thank I, I, you, Bruce. I threw you what I thought was a softball and I expected you to say, you should look at our website, Capstan well, I, I, I Absolutely. I, I want to say, look, always <laughs> the, 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 go to the, the source, the IRS, but then for most of us, um, like, for example, I look forward to our tax team to be able to just to distill it. Yes, so I can understand it. it a so, thousand percent. Yes. 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 So I like reading the layman's. You're listening to our podcast, folks. Obviously, we've got we'll have some answers for you when we get get news. Thank you, Bruce. Thank you. Um, and if folks have immediate questions, they can always get in touch with you, right, Bruce? They can reach out. Absolutely. Absolutely. You know, we're always available to help answer any questions. I know um, we get lots of these now. People are very interested in this program for obvious reasons. And certainly we can help navigate uh, what the potential is for it, for you. It's kind of like we're on the front lines of something exciting, but we don't know what it's going to look like yet. You know what I mean? It's, uh, I don't know. All right. I'll stop thinking out loud. Bruce, thank you so much for joining us and helping us clarify at least a little bit better where where we stand here. We appreciate your time. It's my pleasure and look forward to the next occasion when maybe we can talk about stuff with a little bit more clarity. That would be awesome because I like knowing facts. Um, for sure. Okay, friends. Thank you so much for joining us on another episode of Capstan Live. If you like what you heard, why not subscribe? We're on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, or just go to our website, capstantax.com slash podcasts. I'm Helena Carmel. Thanks for tuning in. We'll see you next time. Thanks for listening to Capstan Live. Check out our website at capstantax.com for more info on everything we talked about today, plus breaking news, industry blogs, and more. Thanks for joining us. We'll see you next time.